today on CityCast Salt Lake. It does feel like housing is the only story in Salt Lake right now. And with the Gardner Institute reporting that less than 2% of rental units in the county are vacant, this housing market absolutely rages on. So I called up KUER reporter Emily Means to ask her what impact some newly passed housing legislation will have on our housing crisis. It's Monday, March 21st, 2022. I'm Ali Vallarta, and this is CityCast Salt Lake. Emily Means, welcome to CityCast Salt Lake. Thanks for having me, Ali. Always good to be here. It's great to see you. I am wondering, coming off this legislative session, of course, you're a political reporter. How are you doing? Do you feel rested again? Thanks for asking. (laughs) I'm okay. I think I could use like another two weeks of vacation. Well, so I'm excited that you're here because I want to demystify some of this legislation related to housing that came off of the Hill this year. And I I just like constantly have a hard time understanding this stuff. And I know that's because it's complicated. Yeah, it is. <laughs> so thank you for studying it on our behalf. So my first question, when the governor unveiled his budget proposal for this year, He asked for $228 million in funding for affordable housing. And at the time, everyone was sort of like, whoa, okay, yeah, he sees the problem. Where did the legislature actually land on that? Are we getting all of it? Yeah, everyone was super psyched. They were like, holy moly, we really need this. Um, Especially because the legislature had this huge influx of dollars from the federal government, you know, related to uh, COVID relief spending. So they were like, this is a great time to invest $228 million into our affordable housing crisis. And that's not what the legislature Mm -hmm. decided on. Um, What they decided was they were going to fund that request to the tune of $55 million. So you know, just a fraction of what the governor requested. Mm -hmm. And just to break down the governor's request a little bit more, what he asked for was $100 million to go toward affordable housing, basically in rural areas Mm. of the state. And then the rest, the $128 million that's left, would go toward deeply affordable housing. What is deeply affordable housing? Like, what does that mean? It seems kind of subjective, doesn't it? Like what's affordable to some person might not be affordable to another. Yep. So we measure housing affordability generally by um, uh, what we call area median income. And that actually is pretty self-explanatory, right? Mm-hmm. Like the median income of a certain area. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think it's usually done by county. But um, that's kind of like the baseline measure when we're talking about affordable housing. And then we get into percentages of that area median income. So typically, we think 80% of area median income and below is affordable housing. Mm -hmm. When we're talking about deeply affordable housing, we're looking at like 40% area median income and less. Okay. So this is, you know, people who are really on the lower end of the uh, the income spectrum in Salt Lake County and across Utah. So that's what this uh, $55 million in appropriations would go towards. Okay. So 
I guess the biggest question that I have is we talk a lot about, oh, this is being funded. Oh, there's going to be funding for that. And I'm like, kind of nodding along like, yeah, great. I don't actually understand what that means. So how does $55 million in funding, how will that look and feel in our city in terms of housing? Um, I think we maybe don't know until it's spent. Mm, okay. <laughs> so, um, but basically, you know, this this all goes towards or it should all go towards building deeply affordable housing. So you'll know that it's being spent when you see deeply affordable housing projects popping up in Salt Lake City or, you know, in cities across the state. Mm, okay. And does the whole project have to be deeply affordable? Because often we see apartments going up and we're told like, oh, a percentage of units is affordable. Right. This entire project has to be deeply affordable housing then? That's the way I understand it. Um, But I don't know that those details are necessarily in the uh, in the appropriation. Hmm. I think it will probably depend on the project. But Hmm. again, the intention is to build that deeply affordable housing. I guess I'm also you can tell I'm like a little bit cynical. (laughs) I'm I'm. The other question I have is like, where, right? Like, where is this Mm going to be built? Because we're seeing so much gentrification in this city. And if Mm -hmm. it's going to be building this housing in a neighborhood like Rose Park and displacing a certain number of families in order to build, you know, 200 units, is there any language in this bill that accounts for where, where or what the zoning would be? You know, in Salt Lake City last year, they unveiled this new permanent supportive housing project. And that's what we're talking about when we're talking about um, housing that has wraparound services, Mm. case management for people who are exiting homelessness. Um, So one of those opened up in downtown Salt Lake City last year. Um, And basically it's it's an apartment complex that just, like I said, has those built-in services. So... um, I don't really know where (laughs) they'll end up. I think that another project that's being thrown around in this discussion is the Tiny Homes Village Mm -hmm. um, that is in the planning stages uh, for the west side of Salt Lake City. Yeah. So those are the sorts of projects this money would fund. But yeah, you're right. Like we're kind of like running out of room to build in some areas. Um, Cities need to rezone in some cases to allow this kind of development. Yeah. I am curious, you did some reporting about the housing project that's planned for Bueno Avenue Mm -hmm. that a lot of people have referred to as dormitory style. Would that be considered deeply affordable housing? In this specific case, no, because this is mostly being pitched as like a market rate project that is only affordable because the units are so small. Mm. So I don't think that this is the kind of thing that could receive government funding. This is a privately funded uh, development. Okay. So that would explain why the reaction to that housing project has been so, I think, fierce and sharp. Do you mind talking a little bit about the reaction to that housing project because I think it's really interesting. Yeah. So this project, like you said, it's kind of dormitory style housing, but essentially it's shared housing. So basically within each unit of 
housing in this apartment complex, there could be one to four bedrooms. Mm -hmm. And each bedroom would have its own bathroom, as it's written in the planning documents. Mm -hmm. But they would share living spaces, like your living room, your kitchen, things like that. Mm. And so on one hand, we have people who are talking about this as a tool in Salt Lake City's toolbox to address our housing crisis, because potentially this could be a really good spot for students, right, who you know, maybe couldn't get into the dorms on campus um, yeah. or grad students who have a little money to spend on housing. This could be a good option for them. And then that would open up the housing where they already live. So say you've got a bunch of students sharing uh, sharing a, a single family home, but they're each renting out a room in that home. If they move out and into this project, that would open up that home for a family. So those are those are kind of the the pro Bueno Avenue voices. Mm-hmm. Um, on the other side, we have people who are saying this is not a dignified way of living. Yeah. Like we shouldn't we shouldn't use this to fill our affordable housing needs because people deserve to have their own space. Right. You know, they deserve privacy. It's terrible sharing a kitchen with roommates, especially if you don't know the roommates. Right. So they view this as, um, you know, just a, just a really bad option. Yeah, yeah. Well, and when you have like a 2-1 or a 3-1 selling for million dollars, like this doesn't feel like a compromise. It feels very far from from uh, from recalibrating. <laughs> Yeah, this project hasn't reached the finish line yet. Um, the city council has, I think, shown support for this type of project. Yeah. Um, but the planning commission has kind of held it up for a little while. And that's not necessarily because of, um, you know, the type of project it is. It's more that some planning details need to be worked out, like parking and things like that. I think that we can't talk about this housing crisis without talking about Salt Lakers who are unhoused. They're Mm -hmm. inextricably linked. And I know there was a big bill that was much discussed at the legislature related to homeless shelters in, I think, statewide or maybe just in the county. But again, I don't fully understand it or what it does. That's okay, Allie. I am here and it is my job to understand this. Thank you. um, I think if you talk to any uh, homeless advocate, they will say the solution to homelessness, or at least one of the solutions, is housing that people can actually afford. So um, these conversations go hand in hand. This bill in particular addresses the need for winter overflow shelter in Salt Lake County. So uh, just to back up a little bit, um, Salt Lake County used to have a big homeless shelter called The Road Home. And it housed or it sheltered around like a thousand people on a given night, maybe even more. Um, And through a state, county and city run operation called Operation Rio Grande, that shelter closed um, in response to safety concerns around the shelter. But Also, part of this operation was uh, the creation of three smaller shelters or resource centers throughout the county. So those resource centers shelter 
I believe around 200 people each, maybe a little bit more. Mm-hmm. But you can see like going from a thousand to uh, 600-ish yeah. <laughs> beds, like there, there's a great need. So every single winter since that shelter closed, um, Salt Lake County has struggled to set up a winter overflow shelter. Mm. So this bill addresses that. (laughs) Um, Basically, lawmakers want city mayors within the county to come up with a plan for emergency overflow shelter by September 1st. And then the Utah Office of Homeless Services will look at that plan. And if they don't approve it, then there are some backup options. Um, The state could also open a shelter at a state-owned facility within the county. Yeah. So to be clear, this wouldn't increase shelter space between now and next winter. This is just a winter bill. Right. This is, I believe, between October and April. You know, I talked to the sponsor about this, Representative Steve Ellison. He's a Republican who lives in Salt Lake County. And basically, he was like, we just need to get people out of the cold. Like, that is the point of this bill. It is hopefully going to inspire the mayors within this county to make some decisions well before they need to make those decisions. Right. What are the mayors and city council saying about that? Because it feels like consistently Mayor Aaron Mendenhall is like, we don't have the resources to carry these solutions ourselves. Mm -hmm. We need more resources. Like it seems like the mayors are always asking for more support. And so the language of this bill makes it seems like makes it seem like the legislature is taking an approach of, Oh, you don't get the problem and you're not, you're not trying hard enough. Mayor Erin Mendenhall has been really outspoken about this. She feels like Salt Lake city has shouldered the burden of homeless services. Um, You know, Salt Lake city has, often hosted these temporary overflow shelters in the winter. And she actually posted a video, I think, on Twitter this past week responding to this bill. Mm -hmm. And she said that she is optimistic that this will prompt other cities to step up uh, and come to the table with her. But she says, you know, back when those resource centers were built, they were capped at a certain occupancy for the safety of not only people seeking services, but also for the residents in the neighborhood. So I Mm. think that's where her concern and other mayors' concern lies, is how will this impact the neighborhoods where the shelters are if they have to expand that capacity? One thing that this bill does that uh, does provide some support for cities is um, it it allows them to uh, get some funding for public safety concerns related to housing a shelter in their city. So Mm -hmm. there's $5 million in ongoing funding to help cities with shelters mitigate public safety impacts. So that could go towards law enforcement. Um, Potentially, it could go towards, you know, some sort of social worker program to uh, to help with public safety as well. So, uh, yeah, I think this this bill really kind of shook things up. I have to say, when you say these two things. One, the mayor is worried about impacts on neighborhoods. And two, this provides more funding for public safety. I spiral a little because what I hear is the not in my backyard folks are mad Mm -hmm. about housing their unsheltered neighbors in their neighborhood. And 
more public safety with regard to homelessness often means over policing of Mm -hmm. unsheltered folks. Is that like, has that been raised or flagged by activists? The thing that I think about when we're talking about public safety and homelessness is the way Salt Lake City and Salt Lake County has approached these camp abatements over the past year and a half or so. Um, Basically, you know, tearing down these camps uh, for public health reasons and they bring in the city police to kind of oversee this operation. So, um, you know, I, I think that uh, activists would prefer not to see more police responding to people experiencing homelessness, um, especially in this sort of situation where, you know, I don't know if any if anyone who's listening has ever been to a camp abatement, but it's a really tense experience. Mm-hmm. And for some people, the police just add to that tension. So, yeah. you know, I think that the mayors would argue that there is a real impact to public safety when you house a homeless shelter in your city. But, you know, it's a balance. Hmm. Okay. Emily, thank you so much for breaking this down for me, for us. You're welcome. I appreciate your time. So happy to be here. A little news before we go. In the intro to the show, I shared the less than 2% vacancy rate for Salt Lake County found by the Gardner Institute in a new housing study. If you're wondering how the vacancy rate is calculated, here's how it breaks down. In 2021, the Institute counted 148,500 rental units in Salt Lake County and 145,500 renter households. That means that 3,000 units are currently sitting vacant, which is less than 2% of the demand. If you're a renter, then it won't surprise you to hear that the study found 40% of us are facing a housing cost burden, which means more than 30% of our income is spent on rent and utilities. The study also found this, which absolutely blows my mind. If no new housing supply came on the market today, we'd sell out of everything currently for sale in this entire state in less than a month. That's all for us today here on CityCast Salt Lake. Shout out to everyone who spent the weekend looking for Wolverine scat. Thank you so much for listening to this show. We'll be back tomorrow morning with more news from around the city. Bye. Bye.